Good evening and welcome to Downtown Dish. My name is Katie Worthington Decker and I am excited to be filling in tonight for Julie Townsend, Executive Director of the Lakeland Downtown Development Authority. Before we dive into tonight's show, I want to remind you all that you can stay in the know with all the events happening in downtown Lakeland by visiting downtownlkld.com. And of course, as Julie does every week, she wants to make sure that I bring a couple of upcoming events to your attention. So of course, fan favorite, the Farmer's Curb Market is every Saturday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., February 3rd is this month's first Friday, and this month the theme will be Mardi Gras, which will include adult beverages, a king cake walk, bead throwing, etc. And that is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. again on February 3rd. And Saturday, February 11th will be the Valentine Night Market from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. And it is sure to be a great date night, girls night, family night out, bring your pet, Whatever, but it's going to be a great night in downtown Lakeland on Saturday, February 11th. So on to tonight's show. As the Senior Vice President of the Lakeland Economic Development Council, I am excited to get to work with Julie and many other community partners on creating prosperity by expanding business in Lakeland. And today we are continuing our focus on the entrepreneurial ecosystem that we started last week for those dedicated listeners. Um, and we want to talk about, uh, last week we talked about ki the kitchen incubator at Catapult, and this week we are going to focus on the makerspace. So I am excited to welcome to the show Brett Chamberlain, makerspace director at Catapult. And for those of you who are not familiar with Catapult, it is a business incubator located on the shores of Lake Mere in downtown Lakeland, and it houses a co-working space, a makerspace, as well as a commercial kitchen. And we also have joining us in today's show our Makerspace assistant, Elise Ariza, who is a student at Florida Polytechnic University in their master's program. So welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us. Thanks of for having course. Us. I only had to twist your arm a little bit. To get, actually, <laughs> Elise was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much fun. And Brett just ignored me for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't move quickly, but I'm, I'm reliable. I'm that, here. That's right. You're here. I'm so proud of you. So thank you so much uh, for coming to the show today. So first and foremost, um, I want to learn a little bit about both of you. So, um, Elise, we'll start with you. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, where you grew up, what brought you to Lakeland, uh, what you're studying at Florida Poly, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I'm a native Lakelander, grew up here, was born and raised, and I've been at Poly since 2018. I graduated with my bachelor's in mechanical engineering, focusing in aerospace, and now I'm doing my master's in mechanical engineering as well, working toward my thesis. And I started at Catapult. This year, it'll be two years, so time oh, wow. really flies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started as an intern and moved my way up to assistant. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working with the members and with Brett every day, focusing uh, currently on new trainings that we're working on and how to help our businesses catapult out of our makerspace yeah, and catapult. see, <laughs> yep, see, <laughs> and see like their their growth uh, within the space and out of it. So why mechanical engineering? I just really enjoy math and science, and it was a university that I could stay close to home so I can visit my family whenever mm -hmm. I'd like. Mm -hmm. And Where'd you go to school? George Jenkins. Oh, George Jenkins. Okay. Yeah. Now, do they have any kind of academy or precursor to mechanical engineering? So they do, mm -hmm. but I didn't know about that whenever I was there. So, really? So yeah, I was in musical theater <laughs> in no high way. school. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah. Wow. Do you want to sing for us? No. <laughs> I was more like the technical background, oh, so like the gotcha. stage manager, things like that. Yeah. Tim, our producer's looking at me. I'm determined to get somebody singing on this show. 
<laughs> well, that's really cool. I was a drama nerd too um, and did the stage manager thing. And it's fun. Yeah. It makes you a well-rounded it person, doesn't it? It is really fun. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess um, Brett's here too, so we should talk to him. <laughs> so, Brett, um, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of your pathway to where you are today. Yeah, my, my background is pretty diverse, and I think I took a rather unconventional path to get here. Uh, I graduated from the University of South Florida with my degree in finance. That was in 2010, so it wasn't exactly the best time to be entering the finance oh, world. Yeah. Uh, Ouch. <laughs> yeah, off the heels of the collapse. So uh, from there, I was scrapping to get any position I could. I started as an intern at uh, the city of Lakeland. Really? So In what department? Uh, OMB, it's the Office of Management and Budgets. It's about a $550 million operating budget. Mm -hmm. It was great. I enjoyed my time there. I met a lot of great people, and at some point it was time to move on. Mm -hmm. So uh, from there I worked at a company called Welldyne, a pharmacy benefit management yeah. company. Uh, once that sold, uh, I transitioned from there to a family office. So essentially a lot of uh, investing in active management inside of the companies, but... I feel like that's a lot of the background experience to where it's most relevant to what we do as far as being able to grow and incubate these businesses mm -hmm. and then eventually launch them out into the community. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, it, it's a makerspace, so you got to be able to make stuff. you got to be <laughs> able to work on things, solve problems, and I think that really comes from uh, my youth and primarily my mom. Mm -hmm. My dad was handy. My mom tends to have it as like intuition, mother's intuition, if right. you will. <laughs> so anytime I'd break one of my toys, she'd look at it and be able to be like, okay, let's take it apart. Let's let's enjoy this and kind of picked up a little bit more, grew it on my own. And that's kind of where I started teaching myself uh, how to do a lot more mm -hmm. from taking apart cars to, I don't know, just generally working on anything. So when so your dad would get home from work and you would have just completely dismantled like the VCR or like, I wonder how this works. He, he'd probably walk into a mess or one heck of a story. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, so what, how did you end up at Catapult then? Well, things were kind of winding down with my previous employer and, you know, started looking around, uh, ended up talking with Steve Scruggs mm -hmm. and, uh, he was like, hey, uh, you know, we, we're kind of in need of a makerspace director. You want to give it a shot? Spoke with the uh, employees at Catapult, said, why not? I'll go ahead and try something new. And that first six months was essentially drowning. Mm -hmm. I won't tell them that, but it was <laughs> it was extremely Drinking challenging. Drinking from a fire hose, if you will. Just a lot being thrown at you. Well, and did you, were you ever in the, you would have been when the building just opened then, right? The uh, new building? Shortly after, yes. Okay. So I uh, started kind of consulting and then transitioned to a full-time position. And, you know, I'd kind of been a, a fan of Catapult and what it was doing. I'd visited their previous facility in the Bank of America building. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was kind of intimidating. There's a lot of empty space that needed to get filled, and there was no people and not much assistance. And everyone was essentially like, we're willing to help, but we don't really know what to do. Right. I was like, great, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> Hey, there's only one way to go from there, which is up. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I hear that we hear the word maker a lot these days, and it kind of became a, a little bit of a hipstery concept. I know they've always existed, but it was like, oh, local makers, local makers. We all want to buy local. Um, and so this term makerspace really has become more elevated, if you will, probably over the last 10 years, maybe before that. So what is the definition of a makerspace? Well, 
I had never heard of a makerspace when I started either. And, you know, on, on first set, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be like a boys club. Everyone just hanging out, talking, working on stuff. Smoking but, cigars. <laughs> smoking cigars. But uh, essentially, it's a space that's designed to facilitate light manufacturing. And that's how we treat it. You know, we cater towards businesses more than your average hobbyist. But we do have some hobbyists, but they typically bring something to the table, either background experience as well as you know, volunteers bring their expertise and kind of help helping to build up that community and the knowledge base that exists within those walls. Mm-hmm. Well, we hear that word a lot when we're talking about uh, catapult in terms of that um, entrepreneur or founding business person community. And so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the specifics of the makerspace um, and what kind of shops that you have within that space um, and really learn about how uh, you are supporting these businesses, whether it starts as a hobby and turns into um, a scalable business or um, whether people want to come in and volunteer uh, their time within the facility. So uh, stick with us and we'll be back in just a moment with Brett and Elise. Welcome back to Downtown Dish. I'm your host for this evening, Katie Worthington-Decker, Senior Vice President of the Lakeland Economic Development Council. And tonight, if you're just joining us, we are talking about makerspace and entrepreneurship with Brett and Elise from Catapult. So welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Look, deer in the headlights, you made it through the first segment, guys. We're good to go. I was um, letting her go first. Oh, that's so polite. Thank you. I love, it, really, the relationship that you guys have to make the makerspace work. And you know what we talked about in the last segment, Brett, is that we really were building this from the ground up. So before Catapult opened, and of course, um, for those listeners that remember, Catapult started in the basement of the Bank of America building. And it essentially was a co-working space with a small commercial kitchen for the most part. But there weren't any really maker space elements to that first facility. No, not to my knowledge. So when uh, the LADC and Catapult were deciding, okay, we're going to move forward with this multi-multi-million dollar project, to really build a robust business incubator in Lakeland. They traveled around the country. I think Steve Scruggs went and visited 100 different uh, business incubators around the country. And what makes our facility unique here in Lakeland is that there are not very many that have that trifecta, that uh, makerspace, the kitchen space, and the office slash co-working space all in one building. Mm-hmm. So it's very unique. Um, and the makerspace uh, was one of those where a little bit of spaghetti on the wall, probably. What it does this community need from a maker perspective? What kinds of businesses are going to make their way into the facility? Um, the city of Lakeland, frankly, hadn't ever seen a facility like that either. So even codes and permitting. <laughs> they were they were. Learning experiences for everyone, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely learning. So the makerspace actually opened a little bit after the rest of the building opened as we worked through kind of this new concept for our community. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what is housed in the makerspace. And I'll, I'll throw this question to either of you. Talk about the shops, if you will, or the sections that make up the makerspace. Elise? Yeah, so we have a few different areas within our space. As you walk in the makerspace, you'll see the assembly room. And in there, we have member storage, raw material storage, as well as our rapid prototyping area. 
And then some of our rooms that we have, um, our textile room, which mainly deals with cloth, um, hats, clothing, things like that, different types of accessories. Uh, we have sewing machines in there as well. And then in the back of our shop, we have a metal shop and a, mach- and a wood shop. So we have different, um, I guess, experts and residents in each of those shops for different pieces of equipment. Mm-hmm. And you also have almost like a little mini radio shack, like almost like an electrical area where people, people have parts for mm-hmm. that. Now, you said rapid prototyping, which I love that. But explain to our listeners <laughs> what that is in, in practice. Yeah. So whenever you have just an idea, like you wrote an idea on a napkin or you uh, drew something on there and you want to see it in 3D, um, first you would design it um, on the computer. And then we have 3D printers that you can print basically anything in Mm -hmm. there. So um, we'll train you how to use the computers, uh, any type of software you need. So to make your idea something physical, just so you can see what it would look like, the proportions, everything like that, all the measurements before going into the wood shop or the machine shop or, or the metal shop before using. Where the supplies are a lot more expensive yes. if you mess up on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like the filament you use for the 3D printers, mm-hmm. it's like $20 a roll, whereas using metal, it's a lot more expensive, like you said. Right. And then we also have our laser engravers where you can customize um, cardboard boxes for packaging, you can customize water bottles and anything like that, anything in between. We also had one of our businesses use paper and fabric um, to engrave different logos and things oh, on. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it is really a multi-purpose machine. Yes, very customizable for any mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really neat. And so really all you need is a design, an SVG file or something along those lines that can be put into the computer mm-hmm. to then be printed off. Exactly. Brett, did you have something to add to that in terms of the different yeah, spaces? Just to give a little bit of, uh, I guess relative size we have about 9,500 square feet and uh, the space has been reconfigured seven or eight times now Mm -hmm. and it it really depends on what the demands of the community are so Mm -hmm. as these businesses come in someone may be uh, you know have tons of labor in production you know five six employees that are doing one type of task so what we'll actually do is set up an area of the shop or at least some type of temporary makeshift setup for them so they can scale that up and really be able to run that through its paces and see, is this going to be a viable business solution? Mm-hmm. But being able to uh, accelerate very quickly and push it either to failure or success is where you're going to uh, learn those valuable lessons and learn them quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it is a failure or a success, you'd prefer to know it sooner rather than later. Right. And really get to, you know, how do I minimize cost and how do I maximize efficiencies within the space? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the, you know, scariest inflection points or cliffs, if you will, that someone has to jump off of as an entrepreneur is how do you take this product I'm really good at making, um, a guitar, a piece of furniture, um, whatever it is, and how do I scale that? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think both, most of our entrepreneurs, they want to turn a passion into a scalable business, right? And that is probably one of the scariest things. So so how how do you help entrepreneurs take that leap? Well, it it really depends on uh, who the entrepreneur is and mm-hmm. kind of what their uh, skill set is, what their tolerance for risk is. And usually it's pretty high because you are an entrepreneur. Um, but really being able to find out where they're getting stuck and how you can either motivate them or alleviate some of those blockades. And some people, it's financial literacy. Mm-hmm. They don't understand their numbers. They don't know how to fundraise. They don't know how to go get a loan. 
and being able to work through some of that. And sometimes it's taking a product to marketplace. So um, where to sell it? Who's my ideal customer? Mm -hmm. And being being able to help walk them through that process. And don't get me wrong, we don't have all the answers, but we do have experts and residents. We do have many, many community partners. We have volunteers. And we have a network of over 270 businesses housed inside of Catapult. Well, rather members. Mm -hmm. Most of them are uh, solo entrepreneurs. But for the people that have already figured it out, they are are very gracious and are willing to share that knowledge with others. Mm -hmm. And that really propels someone through the system very, very quickly. Yeah. And making those meaningful connections. Because I think a lot of times when you have an entrepreneur and you ask them, well, who's your customer? Sometimes they want to say, well, everyone. You're like, no, no, that's not really, it's not everyone. So let's drill down a little further into what is a meaningful introduction for you in terms of where you can actually, um, whether it be business to business or whether it be business to consumer, what are those meaningful interactions that you can have to grow your business? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a a tough issue with perception because like you're saying, you know, like what is the total marketplace look like? What is the total addressable marketplace within that? You know, and once you identify who your ideal customer is, how do you whittle that down to exactly these are who the people that I'm chasing and here's how I'm going to uh, market to them and message to them in a way to where they feel compelled to buy my product or use my service. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's much more than just the service, but they, they buy because they like who you are mm-hmm. and what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that relationship piece, I think, is so important. And from every element of the interactions that they have from their initial customers, the return customers, um, that uh, business to business pipeline that they're able to build those relationships and frankly deliver, especially as you're first starting out, that reliability that you have to have as a customer. Um, And even the online marketplace. I mean, we have several entrepreneurs at Catapult who have mastered the online sales environment, which is a little bit different. Um, and so for them to be able to uh, collaborate with the entrepreneurs to set up that uh, that online marketplace in order to be effective. So um, so we're going to talk more about the actual businesses that are down in the market at uh, the makerspace, because I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn about the types of businesses um, that we have in Lakeland out of Catapult and really how the the makerspace and Catapult itself is helping these businesses scale, grow, and thrive. So stick with us if you're listening, and we'll be back with Brett and Elise momentarily. Welcome back to Downtown Dish. My name is Katie Worthington-Decker, Senior Vice President of the Lakeland Economic Development Council. And on tonight's show, I have with me Brett and Elise from the Catapult Lakeland Makerspace. So we've just talked a little bit about um, how the makerspace kind of came to fruition and how they have supported uh, different small businesses in navigating that journey. Let's talk a little bit about the specifics in the makerspace. So how do you become a member of the Catapult Makerspace? Well, the initial step's pretty simple. You apply on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, Typically, there's some back and forth, some forms that have to be filled out, but typically we're looking for the same set of criteria for any business. You know, it, it does take some level of startup capital, so either the startup capital itself or access to startup capital, the willingness to fundraise will even suffice. Uh, from there, 
a viable business idea. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as there's at least the ideation of something, then that's something that you could actually pursue. From there, either relevant uh, business experience or the ability to learn it. Because some people have an idea for what they want to make. They just don't know exactly how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. So as long as you approach it with uh, that open mindset and the willingness to learn, I've seen people assimilate a massive amount of information and be able to apply it very quickly. Mm-hmm. So those are the common traits that we typically look for. And we we have essentially a revolving door of people approaching uh, Catapult about trying to, you know, find a new home to set up shop, be able to learn, explore, and that's the best way to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kristen, the president of Catapult says coachable. Coachable is the number one trait that you look for in members just overall in all three of the spaces at Catapult because a coachable founder is someone who wants to learn, absorb, and always continue to kind of grow in their knowledge. Um, I assume there's also training on the equipment once they come in because there is a (laughs) lot of equipment that I feel like I'd lose fingers on if I was not (laughs) appropriately trained. Yeah, before anyone touches any of the machines, they would book time with either me or Brett to learn the basics of the machine and how it functions, and then its correlation with other pieces of machine. And then also, if there's a software that needs to be learned, they would learn that software as well with us too. Yeah, and that's what's so great. I mean, they get, the Makerspace provides, you know, you you, uh, likened it to woodshop, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners in their head thought of like high school woodshop, right? Um, And, but it's uh, that, but way hipper, right? (laughs) I mean, there's, there's all those, a lot of those same tools. And then you guys have even changed that equipment, even within this first year, because you started off with one thing that either you thought would be really popular, or you thought was the best for the uses that would be needed here. And then a year later, we find out no one's using that, or we should have gotten different types of fittings for it and everything. So I feel like every time I go down there, you guys are putting together a new piece of equipment or something to meet the needs of our entrepreneurs. Yeah, and some of that is also based on our members themselves. Like they would come to us and say, hey, I've used this piece of equipment before or this brand, mm-hmm. like with our new bandsaw. Um, and so we would go and get that piece of equipment so that whenever they do launch out, they can get something or something similar to that piece of equipment that they can use and that they already know. Right, right. They're not having to relearn the process. Yeah. So, so let's talk about your specific members because when I take people on tours of the Catapult building, the makerspace is by far my favorite thing to walk into because I feel like every day is a little bit different <laughs> when you go in there. Um, and so, you know, you might see a submarine one day. You know, I mean, it's just amazing yeah. what is down there. So tell me a little bit about, um, highlight some of the members that you have in the space and what they're doing, kind of what their story was. Sure. Um, well, we can start kind of breaking out by space and individuals. So uh, Taylor Ard runs a company called East of These, and they primarily do accessories and apparel. They sell online at markets, retailers. They do custom orders. And my wife is a uh, very big fan of their product. <laughs> I, I commonly get texts like, hey, did you see this on their website? I'm like, yeah, I see it making it all day long. They're like, yeah, bring two of those home today. So <laughs> She does make wonderful stuff, though. I mean, I've seen it at Scout and Tag, I think, is one of her retailers. Um, The headbands, and I love, like, the Lakeland Girl shirts. I mean, you know, it goes beyond just Lakeland fan club stuff, but um, I love that she's got such a breadth of uh, product that she makes down there. Yeah, and it's really fantastic to watch her and her team work and, you know, really just how the sausage is made, right? Because you get to see part of the creative process and all the 
kind of it didn't meet the the group standards you know it was one of their ideas and they try it out and they're like mm, we're not going to do that but yeah. you know from like the instagram shoots they always have something new going on every single day and they're willing to push the limits and they're some of the hardest working individuals i've seen in that building yeah and they're just so stylish like i don't really feel cool enough really to be in their presence most of the time but well, don't they're... pump that ego anymore <laughs> they know they're cool um, so yeah, so that's one example of the textile shop. So, um, and that's, you know, I mean, even a, a friend that I took on a tour, um, who has a, um, an Etsy business, she does kind of the dog, dog collars, leashes, all that kind of stuff. She was just in awe of that shop. And part of it was, you know, her business, it has a niche. She bought the products that she needed or the machine she needed for her specific business. But she walked into that space and she's like, what I could do with all of this additional equipment to be able to expand our business. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm nudging her to become a member because I think it's so great. Um, you don't even know what you could be doing until you see what's accessible within that space. Absolutely. You're kind of limited by the knowledge that you have and the tools that you have at your disposal. Right. So we're really taking a lot of those limits away. Exactly. You're running out of excuses to not be <laughs> uh, successful. Exactly. All right. What other members do you have down there? So in our metal shop, we have Joshua Frost, and his company is uh, Fine Line Machine, and he's actually a Florida Poly graduate whoop, whoop. as well. So does it go Phoenix? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he has his background in robotics, and he's worked on a CNC machine before, but it was a little different than ours. But he's the in-house expert on our CNC machine. And what is a CNC machine for this? So a CNC machine, I forget the meaning of the acronym. Computer numerical control. There you there go. There you go. That rolls off the tongue so easy. <laughs> so it's a form of subtractive manufacturing where you take a block of metal and with each of the different tool bits, you take off a piece until you end up like with a piece of an engine or a brake pad or a piece for an Air, a big piece like of airplane. manufacturing yeah. equipment. That's um, what I think is cool because he can reverse engineer as well. So if yes. you have like a broken piece of equipment, he can figure out what that is and then reverse engineer something to fit that broken piece of equipment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he started with us about this time last year and he's already launching out. So he's one of our That's first incredible. businesses launching out into his own space and he'll continue to be a member and um, a volunteer expert with us as That's well. That's awesome. So he'll come back and teach other people because yeah. he literally is always down there. I mean, he's on that machine all of the time. Um, and being able to help him scale, I think a lot of the conversation was, you know, how to get loans on equipment. Um, you know, that our CNC machines are really great machine, but they can be expensive. So how can you work with the uh, the company that makes the machine for a loan for the machine, or how can you fundraise for that? And to go from graduation to yeah. really launching out um, within what, like a year and a half? Basically, yeah, a little less than that. Pretty amazing. And he also won launch this past year as well. And so he's expanding his business into resin and 3D printing. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, what about another one? Uh, another one, Robert Berganza. He uh, owns Berganza Furniture, and he does modern sculptural designs. Uh, he does things from like reading chairs, coffee tables, those types of things. And that I think that's really where his passion is. Mm -hmm. But um, he's tried to expand that business more and more, and I've been forcing him to get out of his comfort zone more and more every <laughs> single day. Uh, but we've gotten into... Uh, some type of like CNC manufacturing for a small goods line. So he ended up doing uh, Christmas ornaments, small uh, origami like mm -hmm. uh, Christmas ornaments, swan. It was in our holiday gift boxes. 
And I'd every s- single member of my family got one. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I came down one day. I was like, can you make me 10 of these, please? He's like, sure. <laughs> and, and they're truly fantastic. Yeah. They're unique. So they were unique. a big hit. And yeah. I, I think he wants to do them again, but he's still in shock from how much work it took to pull yeah. that off in such a short period of time. Yeah. And have employees, too, which that, yes. you know, to expand also means you have to manage people. So. There, there were a few challenges, some speed bumps in the road, but everyone got through it unscathed. Yeah. And what's cool about Robert is, I mean, he is an artist. He he. I mean, all of our entrepreneurs, I love how nerdy they get about their passion. I mean, they just, I went down there once and he was explaining how the table was going to go together. And I had to get really excited for him to feel good about how the table was going to go together. But they they are so um, passionate about what they're doing. And this is a second career for him. He had a whole other career before he went in um, to really follow this passion of woodworking. So so when we come back, we're going to learn about a couple other entrepreneurs that are down in the catapult space, kind of following their dreams and bringing their dreams to reality. So stick with us. Welcome back to Downtown Dish. My name is Katie Worthington Decker, and I am filling in tonight for Julie Townsend with the LDDA. And we are talking about makers. Uh, you know, it's always in fashion to say buy local, shop local. Uh, but here at Catapult Lakeland, we have people making local. They are down in the first floor space making all sorts of things. So we just heard about a couple um, east of these, which uh, you may have seen out and about in town. She's in many of the local retailers. Um, and then Josh, who's using the CNC machine to make all sorts of um, metal parts uh, for machinery or planes or, my goodness, I don't even know. Every time I go down there, it's something different. Um, and then, of course, Robert Raganza, who um, I would say high-end furniture um, and custom carpentry. Um, really fantastic three entrepreneurs that are really growing their businesses right here in Lakeland. But there's two other ones uh, we wanted to highlight, um, you know, kind of each representing different phases of business and different spaces within the makerspace. So um, tell us about what Rich has got going on down there. Yeah, so Rich is one of our members who is more recent and he's using our general space um, mainly to prototype a new type of shoe to compete with Nike and Reebok. He brought in his own treadmill and he has his first prototypes that he designed um, 3D and then also printed them as well. And he, like whenever you go in the space, you'll see him trying on the shoe and running on the treadmill just to get an idea of how it fits the foot and the way he wants it to fit and he'll also bring in other people as well to get their feedback on it. So yeah. it's really interesting to see. Yeah, that's really exciting. And uh, many of our listeners might actually know um, Rich Wills. So he, uh, we were debating if it was fit niche or fit niche before we started. Um, but I mean, he's a Lakeland entrepreneur. Yes. He um, had multiple locations for that store before they got uh, bought out by Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet. Um, but you know, he's responsible for the water around Lake Hollingsworth really, you know, I used to see him truck out there in the mornings and put the water around. Um, you know, he built a fit niche niche to, uh, <laughs> to really, um, uh, the racing technology. They used to run a lot of the five case, um, and different charity races that we have here in town with that racing technology. But the first time I ever saw him down there and he's like, yeah, we're, I'm building a new shoe. I'm, yeah. you know, and you think, 
any of us that ever shop there or even still today, they make you run on a treadmill to see, you know, you don't really realize when you're running your little intricacies on the, you know, or what's wrong with you when you're running and how you can buy a shoe that can help correct um, uh, to make you a more efficient runner or frankly, make it not hurt when you run. Um, and so it's really cool that he's taking that passion to a whole new level by Definitely. trying to develop a shoe that fits that mark. So it's really cool to see kind of his 2.0 version of his entrepreneurial journey. It is. And then our other member is Seven Alexander and his business is Spring Laundry Detergent. So this business came out of a need for his wife. Um, she had a condition where they couldn't find any laundry detergent that would uh, not irritate her. So they decided to go or he decided to go ahead and formulate his own detergent, especially for her. Now, do you have any background in that? Like, no, he his background is a mechanical engineer. OK, so using so whatever he's used knowledge to coming up with solutions, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so seeing his process, um, he's worked with the manufacturers of um, his detergent and he's like, I don't know the ratio. So he would try different ratios and things like that. And he finally got it down perfect, and then he wanted to sell it. Mm -hmm. And so the only place he, that he figured out that would sell to a wider market is Amazon. So he was able to talk with some of our upstairs members about, like, what was their process of getting online. And then he has his product online. So if mm -hmm. you go to Amazon, you can get his product, Spring Detergent, um, and support a local business. Yeah. And his micro factory is yes. in the uh, the catapult maker space, which is really neat. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing too. I think when you say get your product on Amazon, you know, a lot of times people think of Amazon as this big behemoth that does that, you know, doesn't support local business. But there are a lot of local companies that do use uh, whether it's Amazon or Walmart.com or different types of online retails to create that wider market. Uh, for their products. So that's really neat to think that even though you're going on Amazon and buying the product, you're still supporting a local entrepreneur. Yeah. And even with Amazon, they wouldn't package it or ship it for him. So he did it all in-house at Catapult. So he would have days where he would have volunteers come down, help him package the material and box it up to send it over to Amazon. And mm -hmm. so we're also trying to build out a pack and ship area for our members because like Taylor with East of These or Josh with Fine Line, they're trying to get their material to send out other than Lakeland, right? Just to um, support Scale their customers, and build yeah. Their, build their uh, customer exactly. base. So you know, we talked about some of those examples of entrepreneurs, and there are many more. So you know, we talked about what five. There are you know fifteen others that are down there. Um, you know, I joked about the submarine, but that's legitimate. There was like what, like a nineteen eighty submarine down there that yeah. somebody was rehabbing. Nineteen ninety eight. Oh, nineteen ninety eight. Okay, it just looked like it was from the eighties. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's a, uh, you know, gentleman out of Winter Haven that, um, uh, will be using that actually physically getting in that. Um, uh, and so it's just really exciting to see all of the different variety and the creativity because really a maker is a creative at heart. They're trying to find creative solutions, um, and work with materials to, to come up with, um, a, a product related to those solutions. So, so, Brett, you spent a lot of last year traveling around the country, um, looking at best practices at other makerspaces across the country. Um, and that's one thing that that is probably one of our favorite things to do. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? We can look at what other communities are doing well, and we can bring those back and customize those learnings for the Lakeland community. So talk a little bit about what does the future look like for the makerspace, which sounds a little weird because you've only been really at it for like a year, year and a half now, but but you've learned a lot in that time frame. So talk about what you've learned and where you're going. 
Yeah, and we we learned a lot from the trip. And, you know, there's a lot of different styles of makerspaces out there. There's for-profit, there's non-profit, there's some that are ran by, you know, kind of like ours, an administrator, mm-hmm. where right now there's two employees for a makerspace of 35 individuals. But there are some that have zero staff. It's all volunteer ran, and they have 2,200 members, which is scary to me. That sounds like complete anarchy. <laughs> but it it works, and you know, being able to talk with the individuals of you know, well, how did you get to where you are? And you know, a lot of the commonalities are it was a very bumpy road, mm-hmm. and it took a very long time. And you know, of course, you're like, well, how long? And they're like, ah, a decade. <laughs> Okay, well... <laughs> well, that doesn't make me feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, that make me feel so bad. But, you know, being able to leverage um, some of those uh, takeaways from the wins and losses of mm-hmm. others and being able to catch up to where they're at pretty quickly. In some ways, you know, you look back on what you've done so far and you're like, hey, I kind of guessed, but I got it right. So that's, that's kind of reaffirming for me. Uh, but being able to really just implement what people want and need and then seeing that kind of positive reinforcement and feedback loop on it of like hey we worked through this issue we tried it out it worked and then being able to allocate more resources towards that so uh some of the things that we've done and kind of the on the road to where we want to go is incorporating a lot more help from volunteers people that have been in the industry for a while maybe retirees ray feldwick has been absolutely amazing and helping us uh, jumpstart a lot of the trainings and uh, assistance inside of our shop. We have a, a, another gentleman, Jack, and he's been excellent with uh, his background in Lean and Six Sigma and really reducing those manufacturing errors. You know, for the, the, the Swan ornament that went from, you know, like a day build for one of them to about 18 minutes a piece. Mm-hmm. So without, you know, wow. a handful of key individuals, it wouldn't be possible. That's a lot of the foundational knowledge, and that that comes with training, too. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're kind of limited to training like one and maybe two people at a time, but we're going to get to the point to where we're going to need to train classrooms full of people uh, to be able to do certifications, and I think that's on the path, too. You know, by the end of the year, we'd love to have 75 individual members up from our 35 currently, which I believe is attainable, but really, I think we all want to outgrow our space. Yeah. You know, it's a combination of the three, and it'd be nice to see a dedicated space and become more of a destination for people uh, from around the country to be able to attract them to Lakeland, grow their business, and then launch it here in the state of Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we can all buy into that vision and be really nice to see happen, but it's going to take community, and it's going to take doing things right and uh, being able to scale upon that success year after year after year. Yeah. Well, and one of the great things about Catapult, I mean, they've been around, you know, since 2013, roughly. Um, and to be able to grow those businesses and then see those businesses return back to Lakeland to reinvest. Um, hopefully they stay in Lakeland, but those entrepreneurs come back to Catapult to really reinvest in the next generation of um, entrepreneurs that are launching their business. And and hence the thought process on creating Catapult is we create this self-fulfilling cycle of businesses that are growing here, launching here, maybe exiting for millions or billions of dollars and then reinvesting back in our community. So um, Brett and Elise, thank you so much for taking the time to share uh, information on the makerspace at Catapult to introduce the community that is listening um, about the many different types of businesses that are out of there in our downtown core. And so I want to thank Julie Townsend with the LDDA for giving us 
this opportunity to talk about entrepreneurship on the show. And don't forget that you can stay in the know and connected to events happening in downtown Lakeland by visiting downtownlkld.com. Thank you so much and be sure to tune in next week for Downtown.